Read the Bible. If you need Bibles, we like to encourage people to have Bibles, figuring out how to navigate through the passage, really helping us in that. If you need a Bible at home, let us know. Uh, we want us to have the Word of God and, and be uh, getting comfortable with basically doing Bible gymnastics, going through the scriptures. J.D. over here is passing our Bibles as well. Cool. Let me go ahead and pray for us. You bow your heads, family. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for just a great opportunity to, um, as you are doing the work in our hearts, Lord, for giving us the opportunity to sing out to you, for you are worthy of all the praise and glory. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to talk to you in prayer. Thank you for the opportunity of being with the people of God. And Lord, we just pray that uh, the presentation, the proclamation of your holy word um, would be pleasing to you, Lord, that you would be um, worshipped, you would be adored, you would be exalted, that the gospel would you make clear. Uh, we pray that those who are who know you and those who don't alike um, would just be captured by uh, just the vastness of who you are, Christ. Um, that those who don't know you, we pray for a clear understanding through uh, this text and that you would um, draw people to yourself and you would uncall us even to more vision and mission in Christ for those who um, say yes and you have saved by your grace. And Lord, I do ask that you would graciously use me um, in this. Uh, we all acknowledge and I confess uh, my pride and arrogance and how uh, we do in the flesh want to be liked, want to be um, exalted, Lord. And we just give that over to you and we pray that you would be exalted that you would be adored. Uh, we pray that you would use this time uh, to further your kingdom and no other agenda would get furthered here. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, so we're entering, we are, we're going through the book of Exodus uh, as uh, God's people here in this, in this community, in this space. Uh, we go through books of the Bible in our community. Uh, we, if you want to uh, do a recap, please go online, check it out. It's awesome. Um, hopefully, for the sake of time, we can't do a huge recap. Uh, what we do know um, is that God has been faithful to his people in so many ways. He's delivered them out of, of the land of Egypt. Uh, he's protected them and cared for them in many great, uh, gigantic ways. Uh, you know, as far as the, the parting of the, of the sea, uh, we've seen water come from a rock. We've seen food fall from the sky. And even uh, last week, we got to have a picture of him saving them in their first fight um, with the Amalekites, all pointing to the fact, man, that God is awesome and huge, uh, that he is the only true God, uh, that he is worthy of your adoration, of your praise, of the devotion of your life, and that all of this is to kind of instill and build in you and me faith for us to go, oh, I do want to serve that Lord, that all other gods are false, that man, that it, it, it's supposed to yield confession. Lord, I'm, I'm sorry that I was settling on these plastic pearls and having audacity to think I could be my own God, but you are truly God and you are worthy of my, my worship and praise. And so we enter into this passage, which is very interesting that we go from, you know, a very these big, um, you know, these big pericopes of like, Things that God is doing in huge ways on, in the world, and we come to what I would call even more of a, a practical explanation, a practical uh, display that God wants to show his grace in. It's a very different kind of passage. We're going to jump right in, but I, I think there's some big picture things that we do learn about God, uh, but there, there seems to be more of a, a practical bent here, and so we'll try to be faithful to the text. Um, as we go through it, uh, we like questions. I'm going to, by God's grace, proclaim the word. Hopefully, if there's questions, I can answer afterwards. But we have a lot to cover, so I'll jump right in. Again, last week, really showing a huge character of God. And then we get kind of a commercial here that really helps us see, in light of this huge character of God, what's it like for the people of God to live like in a practical Christian living way? So we have almost a sense of Christian ethics, okay? 
We start off in verse 18, um, I'm sorry, in verse 1 of chapter 18, it says, Jethro, uh, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and all and for Israel, his people, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. So the passage starts with this uh, beautiful proclamation of what uh, we're going to see some, some fun things here. Uh, we see Jethro is brought on the scene here. He's uh, Moses' father-in-law, uh, Zipporah's dad. Uh, we see uh, basically Zipporah and the kids uh, earlier in Exodus are actually uh, taken away from Moses. He says, hey, I want you to go, go be uh, with your daddy for a little bit. I got to go take some care. Well, this is what the perception is, that I got to go take care of some business with Egypt and the Pharaoh. And so his, his family is not with him. And so scholars say, well, why was his family with him? There was a lot of families that were going through uh, the wilderness, you know, uh, together. And the perception is because he wanted to make sure that they would be safe in the midst of not knowing what would transpire as he was going to engage Pharaoh and all that he, um, he entered into. But what we do know is that um, during this time, uh, this Jethro, his father-in-law, is actually hearing uh, all the cool things that the Lord has done, and specifically how he brought Israel out of Egypt. And the reason why this is huge, because uh, Jethro, as it were, is not a believer, right? He does not, he's not, he does not have faith in Yahweh. He actually is a high priest for the Midianites, Right. And so he's back. He basically is serving uh, and is the leader of serving a false God at this point. And so here's this guy. He's not just a regular guy being a regular pagan, doing pagan things, saying, I'm going to serve false things like we all do before Jesus Christ. But he's the leader <laughs> of doing that. Right. He's pointing people. He's leading people. He's 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 the worst. He's the lead worshiper in that way. And then it says this guy who's not loving God begins to take notice and is getting word that man, you know, and, and imagine, right, his son says, hey, I'm going to go off. Remember, we made, I made fun of that. You know, his son Moses says, hey, hi, dad, and dad-in-law, I'm, I'm about to go away. What are you going to do? Oh, I'm actually going to go with the stick here and go challenge Pharaoh, you know, and going to have some plagues and stuff happen to him. It's going to be awesome. And then I'm going to take your, your daughter and your daughter and, and kids, and we're gonna, they're going to all come with me, and we're going to go hang out. And so I'm gonna marry, can I marry your daughter, basically? You know, yeah, I'm this real prophet dude. I'm going to go challenge Pharaoh, the most powerful person all in the known land. And, oh, by the way, before I do that, uh, I'd like to marry your daughter. Can I have your permission? Right. And so this is a guy who's saying, well, first of all, I don't even believe in your God. Okay. And now you're telling me this God I don't believe in, which means I don't think your God's a big God. You're going to tell me he's going to conquer the most powerful entity in all the known world. Right. So this is what's going on. So now he gets word. That basically, oh, <laughs> your God did something. Your God did something awesome, right? The verses go on to say in verse 2, so Jethro gets this news. It says, now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, letting us know again, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. So it lets us know he had the kids, he had his daughter. Uh, the name of the one was Gershom, for, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land, in verse 4. And the name of the other, Eleazar, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So the author is giving you a little snapshot that he has the kids, he has the crew. Gives us a snapshot in the names. Reason why is because I propose, well, first we want to know two things. Unlike us, names really meant something then. And names usually, when people were named, it was based on the scenario or the circumstance that was going on during that time. And so what's cool about this is you have, again, this pagan daddy, right, who, who loves his kids, and he hears the names. Every time he calls their name, what does he get reminded of? He gets reminded of what God has done, 
right? <laughs> they hear these guys are sojourning in the land, and look what God has done, right? So you see these two names are, are, are beautiful because they actually preach the gospel uh, in, in, in a beautiful way. The God of my fathers might help and deliver me from the sword of Pharaoh, in a sense. Can you imagine <laughs> every time you hear that name? Okay, I bring all this up to say that God is trying to do something here. Okay, the author is wanting us to see something. The author is saying, so why is, why, is, why is he painting this picture? Well, in verse 5, it says, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. So we're talking Sinai. and Sinai, there's a bunch of mountain, mountain ranges uh, during this time, right? And, so, and I want to propose to you that I know back in Exodus, we talked about Sinai, and we can kind of think of like God, he, Moses went off to this awesome mountain that no one knew about, but it's actually not true. Sinai was actually pretty popular. And the reason why I would say that is because even him getting this information back and forth from the Egyptians or different people who were going across the land let you know that it kind of had been traveled a lot, right? That just kind of lets you know that. And it says here, um, he, he camped at this mountain, and then he says, And when he sent word to Moses, uh, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. So, he, so we don't know why, how this, how this came about. We don't know if they had already decided, hey, if God delivers us from Egypt, and when we get over to a certain area, we want to come back to you. When I get to this mountain, that's going to be our rendezvous point where we're going to connect again. We don't know if that was like explained to him or if he felt like I've heard because I know that you guys are here because of the talk around town. Is that that, you know, that leader of that group? Uh, he, they're back at this mountain. So, hey, this is a great opportunity for you to see your, your kids and your wife. We don't know exactly what happened for whatever reason, though. Uh, Jethro comes in and says, I want to see you again. I got your family. Um, let's connect. Okay. And it says in verse 7, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down to kiss him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Uh, at this point, there's no further explanation of Zipporah. We don't hear about her much anymore. And so I'm proposing that God is really trying to show us something different here. I think he's trying to show us an opportunity of someone coming to faith right here. Look what happens. Then it says, so I think the point there is not knowing about his family. The author gives you those, those details, but he's really trying to focus in on what's going on with Jethro. So Jethro grabs the family. He's at the mountain. Hey, come hang out. You know, see your family. Yeah, that's great. Uh, they greet each other and Moses shows respect. Then verse 8, then Moses told his father-in-law. So now, remember, first verse, he got kind of secondhand information. Man, God is doing some cool things with those, with those Israelites. It sounds like I mean, this, this, this God is, is doing stuff for them. Get a secondhand, probably getting a little bit here, a little bit there. He's probably asking, you know, he cares about his, his, his son-in-law. Right? He's like, hey, is he okay? What, are, you know, are they okay in there? Oh, yeah, man. They beat the army the other day, man. The Malachites, it was crazy. You should have saw Really? What happened? So he's getting little tidbits here and there. Well, now he gets it from the horse's mouth. Moses himself says, it's in the scriptures here, that uh, told his father-in-law a few things. Don't miss this. First, all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. Two, all the hardship that had come upon them in a way. And then three, and how the Lord had delivered them. Right? And so... Can I just pause and give a little principle here? Again, it's not exegesis. This seems like a principle. I love the testimony here. First, what we're getting here is we're getting a modern, we're getting a testimony of antiquity. Here's a guy and he's sharing his faith. He's going to his dad, his father-in-law, and he's saying, hey dude, let me tell you. Look what, look, this is, this is Christ-centered, right? Look what God has done. 
Not only is God did all this good stuff, but then what I love about it is, that is his, his testimony. And I bring three things up here to consider uh, when you look at his testimony. First, notice the divine character of God is revealed in the testimony. Look how it begins. Right? See what the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. So we see God's divine character. We see portions of his character. There is sovereignty. It's all powerfulness. Right? And then we see the truth of Moses' testimony. I love that in his testimony, everything not roses all the time. Right? Did you see in the testimony? He's like, and also, I'll tell you about the hardships too. This is, it's been crazy out here. Right? And then we see the centrality of God in Moses' testimony. And how the Lord had delivered him. He didn't talk about all the stuff he did. I mean, he probably shared the, the, the specifics. But, but the focus, the, the, the nucleus of it is, man, God delivered us. That's the nucleus of the testimony. I, 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 bring, that up, I bring that up to say, you know, this is the principle here. As, as, as when we're thinking of our testimony. And, and this, is, this is, I'm guilty of this all the time as well. Have you ever had that when someone's talking about God or you feel like you need to help God out and you feel like you can't really talk about the, 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 the lack of faith you had or the disbelief or how your testimony is kind of jacked up and the testimony can always sound so rosy? See, I'm proposing one of the main reasons why that's, first of all, is it's not true. But secondly, the reason why it's not helpful is because then you are, you're introducing someone to, as it were, a false god. You're not introducing them to the God of the, of the Bible. The God of the Bible doesn't always allow things to turn out well for you, as it were, in your eyesight. Right? The God of the Bible will have people cut your head off. Right? And that still brings them glory. And that wasn't good for you. Right? That's the God of the Bible who's jealous for his glory. And so, and so I want to propose to us, when we're telling God's story, when we're proclaiming the testimony of what God has done in our life, make sure we tell the full, clear, accurate narrative. God can handle it. His narrative is so you can understand who the true God of the Bible is. And that's what Moses does. Moses doesn't sugarcoat things. He's, he's very clear and provides him a balance with the difficulties and deliverances. Um, and so people don't wrongly get... Uh, that man, when I face dangers and trials, there's something wrong with my God. No, that's part of the journey. Notice here, though, also, can I encourage you? I love as he shares this, I love that his testimony and our testimonies, this is another principle, they actually answer questions about God, right? Is that, is that, now, what was his main, when you think of it, think of uh, even the way he talks. How about this? Verse 9, look what he says here. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. It's interesting that the author allows us to see in the beginning what he heard when he wanted to hear something. He heard, like, man, God has been doing some really cool things, which is important for him, because I'm proposing to you, when Moses left, he was like, is your God, who is your God, and is he really going, is he really going to deliver you? Then he gets word that actually he's getting delivered. Then Moses comes and says, let me tell you what happened. Right? And so I love the fact that his testimony in itself, his, his proclamation in itself, actually answers, speaks directly to the heart of healing this dude, of answering his questions. Is God all-powerful? Is he the really true God? Is he worthy of my life? Should I put all my claims and my stakes in him? These are some of the questions that you can see popping out, right? How do we know? Because it seems like the whole focus of what he saw when Moses talked to him, when other people talked to him, was like, man, what you said is true. Your God truly is a deliverer. 
And look what happens. The scripture says in verse 10, Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hands of the Egyptians. Now, don't miss this, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. This question got answered, y'all. Now I get it. Now I know. Now I can rest. Now I can be convinced. Now I can become a Christian. Because if this affair, I love this. If this, it says, now I know that the Lord, verse 11, that the Lord is greater than all guys because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. Saying that the Egyptians dealt arrogantly with the people and God got them. Don't mess with God's family. It's a terrible thing. I tell people when you get, man, mess with God, believers, man, this, this is God's jewels. You be careful. I tell an unbeliever in a minute, you be careful, bro. She God's child. I'm God's child. You hit by a bus. <laughs> Just kidding. I mean, I don't know what God will do, but he does stuff. So. Check this out. So, goes on. It says, well, well how, why would you say he, he became a believer? Look what it says here in verse 12. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, after hearing all the information, after responding to, whoa, okay, so now I get it. Look at his response in verse 12. Brought a burnt offering. You see that? Brother's a pagan. But he brought a burnt offering and sacrificed to God. What I mean by that, he was a person who knew only false gods. And all of a sudden, here is he bringing a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, to the true Yahweh. And then Aaron, hey, check this out. So you think, well, no, well, you know, unbelievers did that all the time with all kinds of false guys. But see, look what happens. It gets validated. Then Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, his father-in-law, before God. This is a, this is a, this is a conversion story, family. Praise the Lord. What God is showing us is you have all the good works and the things that God does, and he doesn't just do them to go, oh, look at me. Look what I can do. I can make water come out of a rock. And this is not some carnival. When God does his things, he's always validating that he's the supreme being. And then what happens is it leads toward worship. And so so the author is very strategic here to say, yeah, these great things happen, but now look how that has affected the world. Actually, this, the, your, your pagan dad sees those works and goes, whoa, I need to serve that God. And then you have this, and I love this. I mean, guess what, guys? Did they, know how to, did they really know how to serve and worship and how to be a believer yet? Not really. They ain't got the Ten Commandments yet. They don't have the framework of the law. We ain't in that, that's in Exodus 20. That's a few chapters from now. And so the question you got to ask yourself is, how do you know when a person becomes a believer, right? Can you put that up, please? How do you know when a person, yeah, when, what is it, how does a person express conversion? You might ask yourself this. And let me, can I even, even caveat briefly? Okay, let me hit that, then I'll, then I'll go to my caveat. So I want to propose to you that you are called to be judges. That's a bad term, a scary thing in this culture to say. But I'm going to say it because it's biblical. Now, here is our concern with judging. Our concern is we don't want to be bad judges. I agree with that. But I want to propose to you, it is a good thing to judge. It is a bad thing to be an ungodly judge, to be an arrogant judge, to be, right, to be an undiscerning judge. But I want to propose, based on Matthew chapter 7, 
We can go to Revelations 21. We talk about uh, Revelations of the two witnesses. I can, we can talk about the framework of Scripture. Is that that you, as the people of God, are called to be discerning judges, right? And now the whole point in Matthew chapter seven is not that a person isn't to judge, but they're to judge rightly. Jesus' rebuke to them was that guess what? You have a person before you, and you're judging them, but you still have a big plank in your eye, right? And you're looking at somebody else talking about well, what you're doing, and you got this whole thing in your eye. You lack discernment. You lack humility. You have, you're arrogant. You're more focused on making sure that you're right versus passionately wanting people to be about God's business. You see that? That's a big difference. And so what does he say? So does he say, so don't judge, which is what the world tells you and me. And guess what? We've bought into it, evangelicals. You've bought into it. I see Christians all the time saying, what's, what's the term that we say a lot? Um... Uh, do, like, do not judge. The misquoted part, passage in the Bible, do not judge, or you know, or you will be judged. And we quote that, and we're we're totally misquoting that, and we're shackling us from our prophetic voice. I would propose to you, part of judging is your prophetic voice. God has given you, as a people of God, to tell the world what's true and what's not true. And if we lose that, if we mute that, then the world has no prophecy. Okay, let me continue. Let me prove my point. So in that passage, what he says, he doesn't say, oh, no, stop judging. What does he say? He says, so, he says, basically, take the plank out of your eye. <laughs> right? Have right judgment. Be humble. Be discerning. Understand that you are in the same boat as that person, if albeit for by God's grace. Right? It's not that you're better. It's that you should be there, but by God's grace, you're not. When you have that posture, the posture of like, I'm no better than anybody else. I'm, I'm cumbling with trembling. I don't even know if I should say this. I've been praying for two weeks. That kind of posture. And I don't care about me being right. I just know that God wants his people to be holy. And I know that God wants what's best for you. And we think what's best for you and we know what's best for you is for you to be in the midst of God's people, in the presence of God's Holy Spirit, doing what God does, acting like he acts. And because of that, I'm going to process this with you, sister. I'm going to process this, this with you, brother. That's a very different kind, right? So even we see people, we do this a lot even, Joe, because I just want to make sure we, we, we're going there. Like, we're scared to say if someone's an unbeliever. Oh, man, I don't know. Okay, that's true. We don't know people's hearts. But God wants you to also look at the world and say, hey, when someone is not worshiping, <laughs> I want to propose to you, if, if your response to God doesn't, doesn't enter into a fact of you responding to him based on what he is, who he is and what he's done, which is what worship is, is you responding to God, and there's no there's this sense of disconnect of like, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I don't need nobody, I do my own thing, there's a sense of spiritual arrogance, I'm proposing you've missed at, at best what it means to be a covenant believer. At worst, you're probably not a believer. And that's not being mean. That's saying we need to ask and look at each other and say, man, let's make sure that we don't, we don't fool people and spending 30 years of being unredeemed and they die and go to hell. Versus saying, man, like, like hey, bro, uh, you, still, you still don't really... I remember a guy, I tell the story of the time, Minnesota. Uh, he's from Minnesota. I was in um, Michigan State University on Stafford Crusade. Comes over, ministering to this guy. He's a great dude. Dude named Chris. It says to me, Eric, you know, be ministering to him. Hey, man, I'm just I'm feeling it, man. I just want to go, and uh, I'm going to go to Minnesota. I'm going to sleep with my girlfriend. 
I'm like, man, that's unfortunate. So for some reason, he, you know, we had been counseling him and she preaching the gospels. I'm like, so he, he's leaving. As he walks out the door, he says to me, well, Eric, and I know I'm going to get some feedback here, and that's okay, but I'm trying to make ruffle some feathers a little bit so we can think accurately. He says, Eric, wait a minute. You was going to let me leave here too quick, bro. He looks at me and says, so do you think I'm a believer? I said, well, I don't know. Right? That's a God decision. I said, but if I was you, I wouldn't be confident in my salvation. Because if you can just go and do what you want to do, and God has no say in your life, if God is not your God, then he's not your God. Now, you got to go take that and deal with it and work through it and watch through it and understand the doctrines of grace and all that. But I'm proposing to you as a believer to coddle him and say, you know, we're all, we're all sinful and, hey, you go ahead and do that, but you can still repent. We get all that too. But what he was asking me is if I'm going wild and just do what I want to do, if, I, if I'm going to be my own God, is God my God? I said, I don't, I don't think so. So Matthew 7 is a passage you can look at and, and dive into that. That's just a commercial. That's just a commercial saying that here we have here a guy who we're like, well, how do you know he's a believer? How do you know who? I'm saying, man, because you know what? He started worshiping. He was like, I don't know what to do, but man, I know we, we kill stuff and we cook it. So let's do that. Give me something to kill. You cook it. And then all the people came and affirmed him and said, hey, man, you, yeah, you cooked it right, man. And they, you know, we're going to do this thing. And we, okay, cool. And the people got affirmed, like, man, you get it. Like, you're responding to God. And then I'm going to be part of the covenant community. I'm going to hang with y'all, be with y'all. I'm going to chill with the elders. I'm going to affirm your faith. Right? And so we see that here. Uh, obviously, burnt offering was understood as atonement for past sins, which is a retelling of the gospel. Uh, it's appeal for forgiveness and acceptance. So I love that sense that his worship was one in the sense of like, hey, man, I need to, I'm sinful. And you got, I want to, I want to love your, I want to be about your holy God. I need to, I need to ask God to forgive me of my stuff. I got you, John. Let me just keep rolling, man. I haven't forgot you, brother. Um, oh, thank you, buddy. Um, and, and guys, you know what? And, and, and hear my heart there. We, we are, we are a grace motivated body. Works do not save. God's a grace <laughs> by faith. At the same, and, and in that, we see that by recognizing the fruit. And I'm just proposing to you that you are the prophets of God. And guys, don't let the world lie to you and say you're not supposed to have a voice. Don't be like the world saying, no, we don't, you know, what you do is what you do and what I do is what I do. What? No. There is a right and wrong. That's wrong, man. Something wrong sometimes, right? And then the question is, who, who gets to rule? Who gets to say what's wrong and right, right? I want to propose not us. That's the thing. We got this Bible, and we're like, oh, okay. This is, no one in the world believes this anymore, but I guess I'll tell you, I believe that this is right or wrong. Right? Isn't that our journey? <laughs> I'm going to keep rolling for the sake of time. I saw you, Jess. Verse 13. So, so basically, we see a guy come to faith, and then the next day Moses sat to judge the people. I love this. Comes to faith. So now he's a believer. I propose. And the people stood around Moses from morning to evening. So this is now we get to see this practicality. What's going on here? Okay, so people standing around, um, just, which is normal. We got some lawyers in the house. You know, when you have a judicial system back in antiquity, this is what would happen. Judge would sit. Everybody would stand around him. But notice what it says. It says he, they stood around Moses from morning till evening. Okay. Right. 
And then it says in verse 14, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. Now, you know what? This is, we're getting to some practical components here. I just think this is a beautiful story of, of, of Christian ethics, of what God is asking us to be about. Let's, let's unpack this um, uh, a little bit. So we got people um, who are standing all day, and, and, and the dad looks and says, this just seems kind of weird, right? And, and there seems to be some kind of a bottleneck, right? You'll say there's, there's some kind of bottleneck. Um, there could be many, many different reasons for the bottleneck. I'm proposing to you that the main reason for the bottleneck was actually a good reason, as it were. Moses saw himself as a prophet, okay? So this is interesting. He sees himself as God's person. And we'll prove that in a moment and see what he says to his father-in-law. And he's saying, hey, I, I, gotta, I need to do this. And, and they need to hear from God. And so I know there's a lot of people and I know things are backtracked, but this is crazy. And that's okay. But the reality was people are with him all day, so they can't do stuff. Right? So covenant community actually, actually is, is, is hurting because of this. Right? And people are probably frustrated. Right? And Moses is tired. Are those just some clear observations? This is, just, this is clear. This is how we are as people. And I, you th- if you think I'm lying, why, let's see what the father-in-law says. He's going to basically say that. So when Moses' father-in-law saw this, he's like, what are you doing? Why are you sitting here and, uh, to morning and evening look, and, 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 and by yourself, verse 15? And Moses said to his father-in-law, well, hold on, pops, because the people come to me to inquire for, about God. Right? They, they come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Look at a few things. He says, first, he pulls the God card. Hey, man, I'm God's prophet, homie. Right? So you step off. He's like, look, they, I, I, they need to hear God. And it's good stuff. I think it's a beautiful passage. It's good stuff. And he says, I'm trying to give them God's statutes and God's laws. And so he wasn't merely a judge. Right? He was a, he was a prophet. That's, that's what it says from the text here. Um, and so, and so, in Moses' mind, family, don't miss this because I'm going to make a point here. Moses' mind, this was a bigger, this was bigger than him just giving his own decisions. He felt like when he was talking to people, he was actually sharing the oracles of God, and that's a big deal. And I appreciate that he was like, well, because of that, I got to make sure I'm available to do that. But notice, um, <laughs> notice what happens here, verse 17. Um, it says, Moses' father-in-law said to him. What you are doing is not good. What? Isn't that bizarre? He just pulled a guy card, and Moses' daddy said, Man, be quiet. Have you ever had that happen? You, you don't know what, we don't know what to do, though. People pull a guy card, we don't know what to say back. Have you ever disagreed with somebody? Go, but God said it. God, God want me to do it. I'm God, I mean, this is Moses talking. He was with him with the Red Sea, he led him to faith. And dude is a new believer and says, man, that's crazy. <laughs> God told me that, man, you better go. Look, all these people tired over here. She hungry. You, you, you tired. You mad. They all standing. Brothers just fainted. Look, man, this is weird. <laughs> this is weird, man. I know you think God told you to do this, but, but let's look at the practical implications here. The covenant community is in shambles. So, so, so God told you to do this? Isn't that interesting, guys? Guys, hear me something. And, and Pastor Lee, I say, I say, the staff team hear me say this all the time. When we have issues, the litmus test is always in the Holy Spirit. It really is. In my journey, in my own sin, in my own life, my, when I sin, and guys, if we're honest, when you sin, 
do we really have to spend all the time processing what's going on? We know what's going on. Sometimes we know. And we just need to say, man, look, here's a practical demonstration. Here's what's going on. Every once in a while, we're like, man, Lord, what do you want? But usually it's like, yeah, I was tripping. Or, yeah, man, I should, yeah, I don't know why I'm not doing it. Yeah. We know. And so I love that he calls him out, but I love Moses' humility. We're talking about that in a moment. So he says, no, this is weird. He says, don't pull the God card on me. He says, we're not get God out the pictures. Ain't nothing about, anything about God. Let's have a logical discussion. That's what he does. I'm not being unspiritual. This is what he does. <laughs> right? Dude says, no, we ain't going to pull God right now. Yahweh ain't told you to do this because I'm looking around. So let's have a logical discussion. So he says, now let's look at the logical discussion. Let's look at the workload. Why is there such a heavy workload? Well, first, because the people were free. They weren't free for a while, so they didn't have rights. So they, couldn't, they, they, weren't, they weren't trying to decide nothing because they didn't really have any rights, right? But you know, you're like us in America. You get free, you start getting rights. You know what I'm saying? You start going, but no, that's mine, and I deserve this, and this is what I should be getting. And so now everybody got rights now, and everybody's like, look, so now Moses got way more cases than he used to have because everybody's free. You see what I'm saying? Um, and just the sheer size. You're talking about tons and tons of people. So obviously, the caseload increases a lot. Uh, and then, in a good way, Moses' eagerness. Moses was eager to please God. He was trying to do the right thing. He's a godly dude saying, the people God need to hear from me, and so I'm available. The dude was available all day. But guess what I propose he wasn't available to do, which is part of the man of God supposed to be doing. Well, he's teaching kind of the scriptures, but he, he's, he's not available to cast vision. And, he, and is, is there time to pray? Is there time to pray even? Versus this itemized situations. And I propose that he probably couldn't see the unhealth of it because he was in it. And he needed somebody outside the situation to look in and go, yep, I hear you, but that seems weird because dot, dot, dot. And look what the scripture says. He, this is, he says, now obey my voice. This is, but, he, but he's being humble, guys. I, I don't like that translation. He says, I will give you advice and God be with you. Is another idiom of saying, and if God, if you think this is from the Lord, take it. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, verse 20, and you shall warn them about the statutes uh, and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. So he says, hey, I'm not trying to fire you. I'm not saying you need to do something wholly different. I think you need to do exactly what you've been doing because you are God's prophet and you are God's judge. He says, my issue is not what you're doing. It's that you feel like you're God in that you're doing it for everybody. Right? So he says, let's just be practical here. We're not discontinuing everything you think. And he says, verse 21, moreover, look for, he says, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the peoples, uh, people as chiefs of thousands and hundreds of fifties and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, and any small matter they shall decide for themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. You see what he does here? He delegates. Just He's just uh, new dude. I, I love God's common grace here. He's not filled with gospel doctrine yet and all this. God just gives him the common grace to use his brain. Right? So we cannot, I just want to make sure we don't minimize as, as, as we are Christians, God wants to work supernaturally in us, and His Holy Spirit is, is, does powerful things. And in the midst of that, God wants us to use our brain and say, well, what, what's, the, what's this the best thing to do? Right? 
Sometimes it's like, well, what? That, this, this is just smarter than that. And I know, and notice this. Um, think about this. Now, let me, let me just unpack a few things here. First, I love the fact that unlike um, the normal framework of how things are built, right? Major, uh, like you had the monarchical reign, you know, you had people who led and did things because their mama was, uh, you know, their daddy was a Levite and things like that. Th- this is different. Notice, no one is getting the position based on lineage. You're getting the position based on character. Notice that. Notice that you're judging God's people, which is, I want to tell you, is a, is a typology of us, right? That God's people, it's not that, so we all are prophets, but that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Everyone in here who says, I want, I'm experiencing the, sal- the saving grace of Jesus, and now you're God's prophet, you're God's truth teller, guess what you need to know? You need to know the truth. And you need to live the truth. Because if you're God's prophet, and yet you're arrogant, and you're self-serving, right? And you're, and you're, and you're theologically illiterate. And then you're going to try to tell people what God is saying. You do destruction upon the people of God. And you dishonor the Lord. And so here, so, so what I'm proposing there, think about that. They choose a few people who have that character. God does in a washing of, of, with his blood to all the people of God. He says, I'm going to give you all the right to be my prophets. First, that's cool that God would trust us with his glory like that. That shows you how sovereignty and awesome he is. But man, that's a big deal. I want us all to see that. That he didn't go, no, you know what? You have good character. You be, you can tell people the truth. You don't say nothing. You tell people the truth. You don't say, he didn't do that. He said, no, my, my son has covered you. And I'm going to give you the mind of Christ, the scriptures say. And so as you humble yourself and you feel the spirit, in John 14 says, I'll give you the words to say. It's a beautiful thing. But here we get, we get the realness. We get this in, in nature. He's like, choose faithful people. Okay. And, and real quick, the idiom here, the whole hundreds, fifties, they didn't really just break everybody in thousands and fifties. It's just saying they had different groups. The whole point is they had different groups, smaller, larger, uh, to deal with the issues. And then finally, I just want to address um, this issue of small, great matter. I want us to see this. Now, hear me here. I want to unpack this. This is not minimizing people's issues. But this is clearly describing a scale. Do you see that? Is that me or is that fair? The, the, the reality of the scale is that some issues are bigger than others. You want to? He's like, give me my, give my, give my, my article, bro. So some issues are, are bigger than other issues. Do you see that? Let me ask you this. Some of us will, we, we totally will be like, okay, yeah, this, is, this, is, this one's more weightier than that one. But can we keep it real? How many people you think in the crowd thought their issue was a small issue? Can we be human for a minute? How many people in the crowd thought their issue was a small issue? Right? If we keep it real, when you on the phone talking to the cable dude, right? Or you in line and you ain't get your chicken right at Chick-fil-A. You know what I'm saying? You don't go, well, you mess her shake up. That's more important. You like, man, you better get my chicken. You know what I'm saying? I ordered the, the ones on the grill, man. I ordered the, the breaded chicken. We all think our issue is gigantic. Is that fair? We all do. I'm proposing from the text, God is saying, can we, guess what? It takes real humility to recognize scale. 
It takes humility to recognize scale, to say, no, man, I always feel like everybody should know. But God says, look, do this, do look, look, man, some people you need to deal with it. And some people you got to go, wow, we got to get, we got to get, we got to get deeper in this. This is, this is a big deal. In the text here, according to what they're shaping, who gets to decide? Who gets to decide? You follow me? You have group leaders who gets to say, man, look, we, we, that one was a hard one. Let's take it here. All right? My point there is the people don't get to decide because we all think our issue is, is a big issue. But as they're handling issues, they process together, and then the leaders go, hey, I, I think we need to take this one here. On to say, the, the, the practical point was, Moses, you're just a man. You can't handle all this. Right? And so you need people to carry the burden with you. So they go on. He, they're there anytime. And, and that's what we decide, we try. I mean, it's funny how this, I, both the God's grace with mad groups. I mean, at the end of the day, we have these postures and these rhythms in our church. Where we have one-on-one components. We have, you know, mad groups. And the heart is, you know what, like, me and my wife, our struggle uh, with our local body, if we can, if we, you know, I say take the fig leaf off, and people say I need to get a new example, but if we can be vulnerable, um, is, is that we want to do dinner with everybody all the time because we have such a great body. I mean, when we came back from sabbatical, the first week, man, Sarah, we talk in, we like, man, oh, yeah, we just saw them. We got to do dinner with them. Oh, yeah, we saw them. Oh, we got to do dinner with them. Right? And literally, we're like, oh, my goodness. Well, we got we to still love our kids. You know what I'm saying? And guess what? And then, and then I, and the hardest thing for me to do, guys, to adjust, it's been so weird the last four years, is to turn, it's this whole, like, player coach thing, right? Because, you know, we on a block. You know, me and Pastor, we on the block. And then, you know, our bodies start growing. And now I'm like, Lord, well, what are you going to be like? What are you going to be holding me accountable to? Right? Is God going to be like, well, that was cool. You was on a block, but I told you to shepherd the flock. You see what I'm saying? And so I'm struggling because I'm like, well, man, but I want to show the, show, the, show the flock that I'm on the block. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm down too. You know, give, give me the tool. But God is like, that's cool, but remember your role. And so we've had to actually renew our minds and know that it's probably more beneficial and probably more faithful, as it were, because we want to serve our neighbors and love our neighbors, too. But we propose that there's probably a biblical-centric call for me to make sure I have the people of God here over, even. So we have that struggle. My point is, there's a, it's a mess. It's a journey, right? We want to, we want to care, we want to love, we want to see all you guys. And guess what? We don't, God just hasn't given me that grace. You know, like, I mean, Brandon can fellowship his brains out. He like kicking it. He loves hanging with everybody and kicking it. I, I just don't, he'll tell you, I just don't have that grace. I just, I just, you know, it's like any, the old Pac-Man, you know, when the ghost, when the ghost monster would eat him and go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's me. When I hang with people too long, you know? And so I'm feeling Moses. The dude was like, look, man, I mean, I, you know, I want to serve Lord. I want to be godly. But man, I just want some alone time. I just want to hang with my kids. Right? And so the posture is like, how do we, and that's not, don't, like, not, don't stop calling and please come hang out. My point is, it's a journey. And, and just as a leader, I get this because it's like, well, how do we, we want to be with everybody because everybody's awesome, but we just can't. And so 
He says, if you do this, God will direct you. You'll be able to endure, and this people will also get their place in peace, which I love that. This whole, you remember that old adage? I don't even know who says it. Was it justice deferred? Is justice denied? Right? That, that these, he, so, so here, he's speaking a little theology. Here, here's basically what he's saying. The whole issue why he's saying, he says, I brought this up because I don't feel like people are getting the peace they deserve. That was his apologetic right there. His apologetic was like, man, you ain't solving all these cases. And people still are standing up all night and they're leaving going, I still haven't experienced God's justice. And so because of that, this is a new believer now. He said, because of that, this got to be weird because God, your guy's a guy of justice, right? He wants these people to experience justice, but you can't do it because you can't handle all these people. That seems to be a fundamental problem. So he says, we need to change the process so the end goal communicates your God's character, or as it were, our God's character, and that is he is a God of justice. You see what he does? He changes the scenario where the output actually exalts Christ more, which confirms that it's probably from the Lord. You see that? Because now if Christ is exalted more, well, God, what does God go? I want to be exalted. Well, here's the way we can exalt God more. You see what happens there? So when we're thinking, well, is this a good place? Well, we should do this, or should I do this? I say one of the main questions you've got to ask yourself, which is um, in our book, Default Christianity, where is God getting the most glory? In your decision, as it were. Right? That's a good question to start at, start with. Um, goes on. Verse 24, we're going to go home. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over all the peoples, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And verse 26 says, and they judged the people at all times. Any hard cases they brought to Moses, but any small matters they decided themselves. And verse 27 says, then Moses let his father-in-law depart and went um, away to his own country. Beautiful picture. You know why? Because I love the fact... First, this issue wasn't about sin. I love the fact, it seems ergonomic. I mean, we can brush it down to what was their sin, but the issue was like, practically, like, this is not working. And it's just interesting that an author of the canon in 66 books and all that he could say about the Lord saw it fit to, to dedicate a chapter, and even more as it were, uh, when you think of the chapter, we get the portion of salvation, and then we get this bigger portion of practical Christian ethics. <laughs> That's just interesting to me. Before the law comes out. I want to propose because God takes it serious how we act as believers. How we practically live as believers. And it's not about, oh, I lost the theology. Oh, I, you know, I know salvation. By, no, okay, well now, what, how, are you, how are you living? And I love that we see practically, I love that in that it's not sin, Moses is the man. Look at his humility. Moses is the man, y'all. Imagine, I'm telling y'all, y'all, I, I want to be a humble guy before the Lord. If I have seen the Red Sea parted, food fall out the sky, I hit the rock with the stick, and I'm like, God, even though I know God did it, I, I believe in the doctrine of sovereignty, I would have to think, but it was, you know, I hit the stick. You know, boop, I, I, I did that. You go in the next, you know, in three months, all this happened in three months, y'all. Then you go and I'm standing up and I'm the staff of God up and man, the whole army is winning because I'm up with the God is using me. And, and then I get this pagan dude who don't even know God walk up on me. God used me to save him. 
And then I just bring him to the crib for a little bit just to see how we roll. And he started rebuking me. The first day, Ashley. I'm like, man, you don't even know John 316 yet, bruh. And you coming up in my piece telling me how to do Christianity. Tell me that would not have been hard for you. Tell me you would not say, boy, look. Let me tell you something. I'm the man. I'm Moses, baby. I'm right in the Pentateuch. That's what I'm doing. You think what I'm doing at night? I'm writing, man. Can you imagine the humility it took for him to be like, I mean, I mean, think about that. And guess what? And then, and then the thing he rebuked them on, was, it, was, it was messy. It was like some God stuff and some human stuff. It wasn't just like, it was like he was telling the prophet, you're being a prophet wrong. You're telling, you, you're hearing God and you're teaching God's people, but you're doing it wrong. Imagine that. And then Moses has the audacity and the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise God for this model. He looks at his dad and goes, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. And I say that because I think one of the biggest issues in the people of God today is the lack of humility. The lack of humility that we've bought from the world. That man, we are way much more than we think we are. And that no, my, my opinion and who, what I say, and it, it matters just as much as you and you. And it's like, well, sometimes you need to just chill out and just listen. And everybody needs to come to the table and say, well, maybe you're right. I love that this man said, you know what? I'm, I'm convinced, you know what the main reason I wonder why he listened to him? And this will get, this will get us in trouble today, y'all. Because he was older. I'm convinced of it because he was older. He said, man, look, I got more doctrine. I've done way more than this dude. I've saved him and everybody right now. But man, this is my, this is my wife's dad. Do older than me. What you, what you, I mean, tell me what you think. And he had a humble posture, y'all. And if the author, by God's grace, inspired, inspired this guy Say, put that in the Bible. I want the world to see that. I want millions and millions and millions of Christians to see that humility. From a pagan. So what is God trying to teach us in this passage? You think the people of God are hearing this and they're listening? What is God trying to teach us? I just long for our church just to be humble people. And guys, I want to lead the church. I want to be humble. We want to be, I want to be humble where I can hear you. And I just pray that, man, we can all, we all have that humble posture. The Bible tells us there'll be a unity of peace. There'll be a bond unbroken. If we're all coming at it like, you know what? I'm not on your side. I'm not on your side. I'm just trying to be on the Lord's side. God is saying he'll get glorified. So when that doesn't happen, it's not because we did it right. Some, somebody wasn't humble. It could be me, it could be you, but man, what would it look like if we all passionately want that? Right? In all of what we do, when you hear, 
you know, and you're judging how someone's singing or you're judging what I'm saying right now, not even getting blessed because you're mad at someone I did. And you're missing God right now. Out in our hood, hanging out with people, and we, we kind of put the pecking order up. I'm cooler than all this crap we do. And what would happen? Well, man, we have that kind. Amazing to me. Doctrine of God. Doctrine of God. Doctrine of God. Then practical Christian living. Right smack before the giving of the law. Why does he do that? Why does the author do that as you think of biblical context? I'm telling you, he does that to get us, to have us pause. See, why are you telling me this, Father? Because the people of God need to see. Oh, that was really cool. And it changed the scope of how they led the people of God. It was a big decision, family. Let's go home. Here's a couple of things I want to leave you with. I love the fact that we can trust in what God says in, his, in the scriptures, right? When he says in Proverbs, in chapter 3, you know what, that man, those who really give their hearts and that lean into their own understanding, man, they acknowledge the Lord. And man, that when we... We have a humble posture. I love this. Even when you're doing something that's not smart, God will graciously redirect you. That's the beauty of the Lord is that when we're so jealous of God's glory, he will actually change. He will move things supernaturally. He'll move them naturally. He'll do what he needs to do. Right? God truly directs the humble. That's why he gives us these tidbits in Proverbs. That's why we see that in 1 Peter 5. You know, that's why we see those things. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. And in due time, what he will do? He will lift you up. Not so you so cool, right? But so that, as it were, I'm going to propose to you, that's an alliteration to what? What we just read a couple weeks ago. As the staff was lifted up, like, that basically he'll lift you up. Why? Because then that picture is of you, you lifted up to lift what up? To lift God up. That God is exalted. Convinced of it. God faithfully directs the path of everyone who trusts in him with all their heart. See, that's the beauty of sovereignty, is that you can take steps of faith and know that in your brokenness, because we're, we're broken, right? and we have times where we, we're, we're, like, we're, cheap, we're doing our sinning, and we're sinning, and we know it, and we turn to, you know, you, you know you're about to go sin, so you turn the radio off, you have it on a Christian station, so you turn it off, and you, you don't want nothing that remind you of God because you want to be a sinner, a sinner, sinner. You know what I'm saying? Maybe I'm the only Christian in here who has a sin problem, but, but you're doing that. And God still grabs you, and he, he reminds you that you're his because... Because then you repent and you, and you realize you're jacked up. And you, that's the beauty of the gospel. It's, man, I'm so glad I didn't have to earn this, but you gave it. Well, God says, man, I know that I can, I can go in life and I don't have to go in life, you know, the tightrope. You know, that's just bad theology, y'all. You ain't walking no tightrope. Man, we have, this is God's world. This is God's world. Lord, I can walk with you and take risks and do these things in wisdom. And when God says, oh, that was really stupid, I'm going to actually move you this way. He'll do that. Receiving correction and giving correction for someone else. If there's anything you say, man, Lord, what, is, what are you going to teach me in this passage? What a beautiful posture of Christian ethics here of someone receiving correction and giving correction. Here's a dude who doesn't say, I know everything. He even says, hey. Basically, that context that he's like, and pray and see if God's in it. I, 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 I breeze past that passage, but toward the end, he's like, and if God's directing you, then do so. The dad's like, he wasn't like, I'm all that. He's like, look, now, no, I'm just saying, I'm looking at the thing, it looks kind of stupid. So I think you should probably do this. Now, you pray about it. If God's in it, praise the Lord. 
That's his posture. And then Moses' posture is like, well, let me think about it. And I love it says, hey, I did, I did everything the dude told me. See, pause. Think about it, church. How do I apply this in my life? <laughs> How do you not? My prayer is that one of us lead to worship, a more humility in our local body. But man, that this humility would transfer us being invited to our community, entering into discipleship, which means you're going to be in accountability, that you, that you would find yourself, this will just be transformative to you. Okay, family? That's the prayer. Oh, my paper's dropping. Sorry. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through a time of communion.